If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We will be, we're continuing our study of the book of Acts. And I was sitting there dwelling on just the last couple messages back to back. And both Pastor Jeff and I believe that it started with Christian's message, that he brought this idea of the family of God being a one church, and that the thing that made them different was the giving of themselves. And then I preached from Hebrews of living a life of purpose together, continuing to be a one church on a mission together. And then Sean came and started talking about the, empower, the, the, the state of our hearts, that we need to make sure that our hearts are good, are, are right before God, so that he can move in our lives. And then Jeff last week talked about how there's empowerment in the gospel witness of the believer. And so we both feel, we were talking about this Wednesday in staff meeting, we feel like God is trying to say something to our body. And may we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. And so today, I get to preach from Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. You've probably read this passage many times. But before we start, I want to ask you a couple questions. And you don't have to answer out loud, unless you want to. Do you believe in the good news of Jesus Christ with all your heart? Do you believe that God is leading his church, no matter what state that it's in? Do you believe that you are part of his church? You see, the church is not this building. The church is the community of God's children. It is his children living out his good news with their very lives. It is God's living organism led by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit on his earth in every circumstance, neighborhood, street, zip code, continent, and in every culture, time span, and ethnicity. And since we are a part of his family, we are his church. Today we will read about a time when the church had to learn, when it had to grow, when it had to change somewhat in a way on the way that it functioned. And I believe that we have a lot to learn from it and pray that we can mimic what the church does for the fame of Jesus' name and for the good of the social spheres of your lives. So together, let's read Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, if I... Don't say these guys' names right. I apologize. I will try my hardest to say the seven names right. And if not, I'll just give them a short nickname. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer 
into the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pecorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In order for the body of Christ to grow, we must humbly admit that there always is a need for us to function better, individually and corporately. Because problems arise. People enter the church, they automatically bring problems. They used to have a saying that the the church building's perfect until the first person walks through the door. And that is absolutely true. It doesn't shock God, it doesn't shock Jesus, and it should not shock us. At this time that this was written, the church was beautiful, it was alive, it was effective. How many times it talks about it? Disciples are multiplying. Jesus was moving within Jerusalem and beyond. The Great Commission that we say all the time at the end of the service was being lived out right before their very eyes. They were going to Jerusalem. It was moving into Samaria and Judea and beyond. They were watching God's word literally move. The great historian Luke writes that the number of disciples was multiplying in verse 1. He did not write the word believers. Believers were multiplying. He wrote the word disciples. The best way for us to understand the significance of this word is to, a better word that kind of agrees with what the word disciple means is the word apprentice. There were apprentices growing everywhere. A disciple is a person who is with Jesus, becomes like Jesus, and does what Jesus does. This is who was growing, multiplying. It wasn't spectators. It wasn't fans. It was people living out the gospel with their very lives. The disciples were the people that were growing. I think that's interesting that Luke writes that because the word that he chooses to use gives this idea that these are people, the, the ones that are saved, turn around and just start serving in Jesus' name. They start making disciples. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples, right? Don't make believers, make disciples. Share the gospel, watch Jesus save that person, and then show them what to do and how to live and how to spread their Messiah's name to someone else that needs it. The apostles were spreading the good news in Jerusalem, and the church was growing beyond the city, and when that happened, beyond cultures. And those who came to faith began to live out their faith, not just with words, but with their lives and with those around them. 
That's what that word disciples means. But interestingly, a problem occurs because of this growth. Something naturally arose. A problem or a complaint. The Hellenists, which were Jews of Greek descent, had a complaint against the Hebrews, which were Jews of Jewish descent. Now, think of just the culture difference right there. You got racial issues, you got cultural issues, ritual issues, custom issues, the way of life issues. But the Greek ones are pointing the finger at the Hebrew ones, saying, We have a complaint from, about Yah. The Hebrew widows were receiving better care than the Greek widows. They weren't being looked at properly. They had a chance of favoritism. I think sometimes we, as a church and as people, can fall into this. We hang out with people that we like and have certain commonalities, but we neglect those around us who need to be welcomed into the body, need to be loved on, need to be cared for. It's something that just naturally happens within us, right? We start linking with people that we like. But that's not the eyes of the gospel. The eyes of the gospel looks outwardly, not just inwardly. But even though they have a complaint, you can see that there's a, there's a love for the Hellenists for the Hebrews. Because they're not wanting and just murmuring and gossiping around their backs. They bring the complaint to the apostles. Like, hey, Peter. Hey, John. This is what's going on. You can see by them bringing that complaint, they're desiring a unity to still maintain in the body. It's a shame that we have left the body of Christ for lesser things than these things. So the problem known was brought instead of whining and complaining. But here's the interesting part. The way the apostles, the Hebrews, responded shows us that it was a legit complaint. That they didn't lessen it like, oh, yeah, yeah, they, you're right. So they gather all the multitudes together. All the multitudes of the disciples, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, they gather them all together, it says. And by them bringing it to the apostles shows that they are trusting in the apostles' solution. They know that caring for one another, especially widows and orphans, is at the very center of the heart of God. That it's always been since the forming of God's people. Just read the Old Testament. There are laws in God's command on how his people were to care for widows and orphans. Think about the fields. When you gather the fields, don't pick up all the stuff on the ground. Why? So that the poor and the widows can gather and I can feed them. An orphan comes in, you bring him into your house. You give them a home. You give them a family. Isaiah talks about how God is going to be known as a God that restores homes. 
Like this is at the very heart of God. And the Hellenists knew this and the Hebrews knew this. James, a saved Hebrew, writes, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is visit orphans and widows in their troubles. James one twenty seven. To James, and obviously to the apostles that we'll see by the way they respond, that it was a wonderful privilege of the church to be able to care for one another. Church, when a, a need arises and a care comes before us, we don't need to complain about it. We need to look at it as a privilege from God that we can respond to meet that need. Whether it's time, somebody needs comfort, whether somebody needs financial help, whether somebody needs yard work, if a widow needs a house taken care of, if, if we know some orphans that don't have clothes, we buy them clothes, we help families that take in foster children, we do whatever we can, and it's a privilege of the church to do this. We mimic God in those moments. The church was to serve widows, and the widows in return serve the church. Just read 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. It talks about this. We care for them, they care for us. It was a team effort. It wasn't just the widows taking handouts and not doing anything. They were serving the body as well with what they could do. It was supposed to be a family. A question I thought of is, how would we rate our local body for caring for each other? And do we need to grow in this? I believe we do. We always do. There's never a time the church should just sit back, kick their feet back, and say, we have done it all. No, that day will never come until Jesus splits open the sky and comes down with the saints and remakes all things new. Until that day, there is so much for us to grow in. And the disciples knew that. The disciples did not look to the Hellenists and say, look guys, we have this already, this is how things have been working, we're just going to keep doing it this way, it just works better. No. The apostles acknowledged the need and they came up with a gospel solution. Verses 2 through 6, the apostles, like I said, they gathered the disciples, they gathered the church together They admitted the seriousness of the problem. And honestly, I've heard people say that their answer sometimes seemed harsh and that they viewed themselves as better. But this is a wrong view. For them to say, look, we can't, we don't, we don't want to give neglect the word by serving tables. That that was not a, oh, these people are lesser than me. The apostles didn't think that way. The word translated serve, where it says, and serve tables, and minister the word, is the same exact word in the Greek. Dikonos. Where we get the word deacon from. Which means to serve. So for the apostles... For them to minister the word to people was serving people. And for them to bring forth people to make, serve the tables was a way that they served. Both the church was moving as a team together, serving in the areas that God was calling and moving in the people's hearts. It wasn't that the apostles were here and the people serving here. It was the apostles viewed it as the same exact 
mission. We will spread the gospel and proclaim to the unsaved Jesus Christ, and you will get to serve them and love on them and take care of them and show them Jesus on the ground. You see, the apostles to serve the word to others and for the church to serve each other was both needed. They were serving in each other's lanes. One wasn't trying to take over the other lane. It wasn't this power struggle. Oh my gosh, we got to put on these people so that we can just maintain up. No, it was, yes, there's a need. How can we fix that? We can't do it all. We have to do it together. Old Testament wisdom came in this moment. When Moses was trying to do everything, Remember what God did? He sent his father-in-law and said, dude, you can't handle this by yourself. You need to appoint leaders for every tribe, people, 50, hundreds. You need to do that, and you only focus on the main thing. What does it say in the Old Testament? Moses saw that this was a wise choice, and the church, I mean, the, the Israelites just were blessed by that. The apostles seeing the same issue. Guys, you're ministering the word, but this is a neglect here. Like, this is what's happening. We can't do it all. What should we do, Lord? Boom. Appoint people to oversee this ministry. And the apostles do it. Mark 10, 45, I love. I, th- I honestly believe, I think, the disciples... The apostles were thinking of this very phrase that Jesus told them that they didn't understand at the time. But this is a verse that just sums up the whole purpose of what the disciples' decision that they made. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By them appointing these seven, they were allowing those seven to disciple others to do just that. We're not, we don't exist to be served. We exist, church, to serve and to give our lives for the ransom of many. It is not this idea of us versus the world. It is us with the Messiah in the world, moving and being lights so that people will give up their darkness. Don't ever forget, you were in darkness. And that's where Jesus came. Whether it was you saw it for yourself at a sermon, whether it was a friend who had the audacity and the courage to tell you about his Messiah, or if it was a way that someone served you in your moment of need. However it happened, the way God planned it was beautiful and perfect for that moment. But it was in that moment the church mimicked their Savior and serving each other. Caring for each other. The apostles, in their decision, opened the way for the body to love as a body. It wasn't the leaders doing everything. It was the leaders joining with the disciples and working as one team. So a complaint arose But the solution surfaced because Jesus was leading his church. 
This is why I asked you the question in the beginning. Do you believe that Jesus is leading the church? And if we do know that he, he has the best way to remind us and to surface and expose the problems that we need to answer. I'm not just talking about me as one of the pastors. I'm talking about all of us. See, I'm up here preaching, but I view myself in the seats with y'all. We're doing this together. We are a mission together. It's not me going or blowing the horn. It's us walking and marching together on this earth to be a light for the world. Gospel-centered people always make room for the gospel to be loved out within the body. When the, when, when the church starts hindering people from serving, we're doing damage to what Jesus was calling us to do. People need to be free to serve. People need to be sent out to the world. People need to be allowed to do their giftings and to do these things. When we hinder it, that's when we're not being like our Savior. We're displaying a different Messiah. God, who ruled and reigned and was sovereign over everything, became a filthy peasant and walked among his people and allowed himself to be rejected, belittled, questioned, dirty, and ultimately to the cross. He wasn't the king in the palace waving his scepter, Saying, yes, this is what we shall do. No, he was going after the prostitutes, the nobodies, the outcast, the, the diseased, the mangled. That, that is our God. He, he is in the trenches with his people. His spirit living in us reminds us that he's in the moment of our lives. And when a problem arises, we don't figure it out by ourselves. We allow him to lead our decision. We make room for the Spirit to arise in us so that when a problem arises, we have the wisdom on what the solution should be. And we also need to have the grace for when if we make mistakes, because we will, all of us will. The apostles showed great concern and sensitivity to the issue of the Greek disciples by appointing, this is interesting, the Greeks... Sorry. Come with the problem. And instead of picking Hebrews, hey, Hebrews, you're screwing up. We need to show these people how we got to do it better. Let's appoint seven Hebrews. No. The disciples, in their grand wisdom, appoint seven Hellenist leaders to serve the widows. The ones who had the complaint became part of the solution. And the crazy part is, even the Hebrews agree with this decision. Absolutely, Lord. Absolutely. It says that they all, they all agreed. They weren't saying, well, that leaves my spot out. How dare he? No, absolutely, yes. Which which should talk to us. That if you see a problem arise and you bring a complaint, just know that God may use you as the answer to that complaint. No task in the kingdom of God is too mean. And in God's kingdom, the lowly task is actually of first importance. 
The disciples do not give each of these men a title, and then they serve. They pick seven men who are already doing it. So that reminds me of this. I had a picture of this when I was preparing the sermon. I think of Stu and Denny, right, who we just publicly announced as the deacons of the church. Now, does Stu and Denny serve because they got this title? No. They've been serving this church for 10 years, faithfully. And we just acknowledged that. The disciples did the same thing. The seven people they picked weren't just random guys. Like, hey, you want to do it? Uh, you, yeah, okay, come on. You too? All right, let's go. No, it was guys who were already serving the widows. Maybe it was even some of them that brought the complaint. They were chosen because they were already doing. I honestly believe the best leaders... In, in any sphere, church, business, it's not the guys who get the title. It's the guys who are raised up because they're already doing it. The men that I look up to most in my life throughout my 22 years of following Jesus after he ambushed me in my bedroom was the guys who were doing it already. That's who I surrounded myself. I want to know, how do you read your Bible? How do you pray? How do you serve? How do you put up with that aggravating, snot-faced guy who thinks he's all about himself? Like, how do you do that? And I just learned from them. Why? Because they were doing it. But here's how they were chosen. Good reputations, which means they had to be known for caring servants. I mean, they had a reputation. They had to know. Full of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit's work was seen by the way they lived God's will for their lives. So it was noticeable that these guys were different. And then full of wisdom, they practically knew how to handle the issue. And I put a little sign on it, and they were most likely some of the ones who were already serving the neglected. The apostles... And these that were chosen to serve acted as a team. Now, that doesn't mean that these seven guys just went around and everybody just followed them around. It was they were the examples to the other disciples on how to care for their widows. So, I want to make this sermon as practical as I can in the six minutes I have left. I was thinking about this sermon a lot. And I was thinking, Lord, how, how can this message help us as a local body serve and love well? It is not a secret that our church has some holes in it. From volunteer holes, I'm sure some of us believe that we should be doing things differently and listen. It's not a secret. But what this message speaks to me, and I'm hoping that it's speaking to you, is that one, you have, the, you have a right as a local body to bring forth a complaint that you have with the church. 
We need to have the right to do that. If there's some concern you have or some things that you feel like is being neglected, like, come talk to me. Come talk to Jeff. Talk to one another and, like, figure out a way. Like, what can we do differently? We have to be able to have the right to do that. If not, we're not a body. And then we need to come up with a solution together. We can't just pawn off complaints and issues and just go, oh, I told them, that's it. No, the body needs to come together and focus on meeting that need through the lens of the gospel. Like we have volunteer issues, okay? That's, that's known. The only time I get to be down here with the children is when I preach. I haven't, I haven't been able to sit in a sermon for nine months, okay, unless I preach it, which is fun, by the way. I do like preaching But there's needs. We need volunteers to serve the children. And people can say, oh, you didn't got a great children's ministry, you ain't got this, this, and that's true. So help me with the solution. Oh, we uh we don't we're not as active in our local community and blah 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 blah. Which I'm not saying blah 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 is disrespect. I'm just trying to do this fast within four minutes. I agree. Let's be part of the solution. Let's do this together. If we want to see this church built, we have to do it together. We can't do it on a person that's got a charismatic uh, charismatic bent. We can't do it on a guy who's been serving for 10 years only. We got to do it together because we are a body. We all need to be disciples in this body. We all need to be actively living out our lives as the gospel. Like, I keep bringing up Christian's message, but it is like the vein of my blood. I mean, the blood of, blood of my veins. Vein of my blood, it's weird. In the gospel, metam doesn't exist. Hear that. It doesn't exist. Jesus went by himself in solitude for one purpose, to hear from the Father. Not to neglect people. No me time. Now, I know you say I'm crazy because, of course, I'm I'm a three Enneagram and I get my energy from you. I just suck your energy. Okay? More people... That's how I relax. Some people need to be isolated, and I get it. Look, I'm not saying your personality needs to change. I'm just saying our lives need to be directly, we need to revolve our life around the gospel and not try to make the gospel revolve around our life. If we are gospel-centered, the gospel is the center in everything we do, from the way that we work, love our children, love our wives, hang out with our friends, go with coworkers, do projects, outside work, the way we spend our money, all that. It's supposed to be wrapping around the gospel. And our Father in heaven will always remind us, Kerr, Mike, Lily, You don't exist to be served. You were saved so that you can serve. And so, my 
prayer is that we would see that we need each other. We need, you know, I'll say this real quick. It's not part of my sermon. But for seven years, if y'all don't know, me and my wife and family went and planted a church in Spokane, Washington. We did a house church movement. And what the beautiful thing about the whole idea, the whole, the whole thing, wasn't that it grew and multiplied. That was, that was cool. But it was cool to see that everybody in that house, in the four houses that we had, they all did something together. There was a mission. Somebody needed to watch the kids, somebody volunteered. I'll do it. Somebody needed, we didn't have a worship leader show up. Uh, uh, I, I, I can lead something. You know, I mean, it was just random people just doing things together. If there was a need, it was like, let's do this. Yes, let's do that. But what, was be- what I'm saying is it was beautiful to watch that when a people realize that there's a mission together, when problems arise, it is no longer complaining and murmuring and gossiping. It is, okay, how can we fix and meet the need? Why? Because we're on mission together. We can do this together. So, I could, I could talk about this forever, but I'm not, for your time's sake, and for the teachers upstairs. My, my hope is that this message you would see that God's desire for his body is for the body to serve each other and to serve together. Because when we do that, the world will see our serving king and they will come to know him. Why? By the, they will give glory to God because of the good works that we do. We will mimic Jesus as a body together. And thank God the disciples were led by the Spirit and they picked the minority group that had the complaint saying, okay, you be part of the solution. Let's do this together. And the beautiful picture of it was the church said, yes, yes. Like I am waiting for the day when homeless people will call this church their home. They dirty, no shoes, they smell, I don't care. I would love to see 50 homeless people use this church, even if they sit in there sleeping, taking a nap. I don't care. They got a safe place. They're in the presence of God's people. I want to see single moms and single dads and hurt people and people with diseases and all these things like just wrap around this body because they see Jesus here because we serve and love each other. And we do it well, and we keep, we keep that as the focal point. We follow Jesus, serving like he did. And whatever needs arises, we do it together. So, let me pray, and then I'm going to give the announcements for the week, and then we will do the benediction uh, together, and then you're free to go. So, Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, this is probably the calmest sermon I've ever preached. But it's serious, Lord. May may everybody here, may everybody here not feel guilt or, man, he's getting on to me. No, Lord. May we all feel like, Lord, you want us to serve, Holy Spirit. You want us to serve each other. Help us serve each other other 
well for your glory and their joy. If a, if a need arises or a complaint comes forth, may we not get offended. May we not take it personal. May we do what the, the apostles did and say, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? And come up with a gospel-centered solution to be able to serve the body well, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that we got to appoint two men as the deacons of the church not because they got the cool title and the cool little certificate. No, because these men are examples to us on what a servant leader looks like. May we mimic the servant leaders of our church. May the younger generation look to the older generation for wisdom in how to do things. And may the older generation look to the younger generation to see how beautiful the gospel is. May we work together, no matter ethnicities, backgrounds, uh, economic status, no matter what the difference, poor, rich, young, old, don't matter. May we work together, Lord, as a body because this is what you died for and this is why you arose, to see a people as a city on a hill full of light. In Jesus' name. Okay, I got three announcements for you. This is kind of the way that we, right now, are living out the gospel together. August 16th, I believe, next, next Wednesday, Jeff is starting his, six, uh, his four-week group on knowing God's peace. Now, let me tell you something awesome. 22 people have already signed up for that group. Man, what, we, we talk Wednesday because we look and we were like, wow, 22 people. So if you want to be part of that group, you can sign up online. You could tell me and I'll put your name on the list. The books are in the back to buy that you're going to be going through. It's a 31-day it's a, a devotional to help you kind of focus on your anxiety and how to deal with it in the lens of the gospel and through the power of Jesus. Um, so it's like, like Jeff and me both are doing, like we, we use these resources as a trampoline just to start the conversation. The goal isn't to get through the whole book. So I want to thank the 22 people that signed up. If you haven't and you would like to, it's Wednesdays at Jeff's house at 7 p.m. to 8.15. It stops at 8.15, whether somebody's in the mid-sentence. 8.15 is a cutoff date because people have work and kids have to go to school and do all that stuff. We get it, okay? Um, so, the next one is August 22nd. The youth are starting their midweek Bible study through the book of Ephesians, looking at their identity in Jesus. Okay, now I know that Reed and Owen have literally went viral with the little announcement ad, and they've invited like 30 youth. Okay, so Asher, who's going to be hosting, one of our youth is using their house that parents have agreed. He's asking for the head count. I was like, dude, I don't know. It could be 10. It could be 40. It could be 50. I don't know where this thing's going to go. He's like, oh, we might need a lot of snacks. I was like, you're right. Don't worry about the snacks. I'll bring the snacks. But the youth are doing it, and it's awesome to see the youth get excited to do it. They want to learn about their identity in Jesus, and they're inviting their friends to be a part of it. And so if you know any families that have youth and they don't have a midweek group they're a part of, 
tell them about it. Okay, you go online, you can send them the little image they got or whatever like that, or text me and I will send you the little digital. See, kids don't want the handout invitations no more. Everything's digital on their phone. They want to send it through Instagram and Snapchat and what is the other one, Real Time or whatever? I don't even know what that one is. I think that one's dumb personally. But they got another app, Real Time, and you just see random people, I'm at the grocery. Who cares? Yeah. Um, but that's what they do, okay? Um, and the third one, the last announcement I have is if you are part of the CCC Kids Ministry in whatever form, volunteer or your kids are a part of it, we are throwing a back-to-school uh, back pool party at the Hans house, which we did the baptisms there, so I said, hey, can we use that pool again? Because that pool is awesome, okay? And they got the little cool gazebo, they'll have food. So we'll have sandwiches, all food will be provided, there'll be sandwiches, chips, and even peanut butter and jelly, because that's what most kids go to school with, so we'll just remind them if they started school, that they should be excited about it. Um, and then we'll have games and pool games, and they'll get to win prizes and stuff like that. So if you would like to hang out with a bunch of families with kids and stuff like that, or if you volunteer for the kid ministry... I want you to know that you're welcome to come and celebrate our children's ministry together and watch these kids laugh and play. It'll just bring joy. It brings joy to my heart to see the kids smile. Um, and I do have a couple favorite children. I'm not going to say their names, so you can just guess. There are some favorites in here that I just love seeing walk through the door every time. Um, so, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yes, that is it. I'll talk about the men's ministry next week that's starting back up. Um, But if you would stand to your feet and let us do our benediction. And I'm not going to do the Great Commission as our benediction today. I want to do Mark 10.45. So I'll repeat like two or three words. You repeat back. We'll do it together. But this is what we preached about. This is what Jesus said how Jesus reminds us of who we are to be as well. So, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless you today. Thank you very much.